And welcome back to season three of Sequelizers. This is the show all about fixing bad sequels to good movies. If there was a good movie that was followed by a terrible sequel, you better believe we're going to try and fix it. I am your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me are the two teams of titular Sequelizers. The team of Tim Matum. Hello. And Matthew Stogden. Hey. And their opponents, Alec Plowman. Yes. And Stuart Ashen. Also, yes. This episode is all about fixing... A sequel to a classic 80s horror movie. That's right, we're back with this season's obligatory horror film entry. It's Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, from 1986. Mm. Mm. Yay! <laughs> <clears throat> Collective zombie noises and just... <laughs> It's it's funny because we've had a few sequels on this show where we, it's come up and we've been like, you know... It's not great, but it's not terrible. And then we have a few films, Highlander 2 last episode, (laughs) where we just turn around and go, that was utter dog shit. And this is one of them. Yes. Because this movie is awful. Because we need to talk about the original. Because in this room, we had a discussion just before recording this session and also when we ended the last session, where we said, oh, Poltergeist. And there's this thing around the room saying, does anyone like Poltergeist? And there was this sort of one... Not necessarily meek, but one eh, from the room, followed by a sort of not really, and Alex saying, "Oh, it's alright." <laughs> I like I like Poltergeist quite a lot. The first yeah, one, yeah, you see, I'm uh, mm. yeah. I I I don't mind. Poltergeist oh, Tim, I've never I've never properly sat through the whole thing, but the bits that I've seen, I'm like, oh, this seems you know competent. That is the problem. I think it's kind of somebody came up with cool ideas for scenes and then just kind of linked them together with some family stuff, and it doesn't yeah. quite gel. Which is kind of the problem with Poltergeist too, because it had a really famous trailer, which is where yes. the "We're Back" yeah. thing comes which from, is and that's the genuinely most famous iconic line, yeah. and a really iconic mm. kind of setup for the trailer. And then the rest of what the ninety-five minutes or however long this thing is, it's just absolute garbage that just ruins everything. The first film set up in so many ways, as we'll discuss in a moment, and just oh, terrible performances all around from the entire cast and crew. Well, not the pretty entire much. cast. I oh, know there's not, there not is quite, one strong. Quite, yeah. There's one very very strong thing in this film. I wonder if we're all thinking the it. same thing. Of course we are, because there is only one very strong thing in this film. It's not a good sequel, and it's not a good film, but I do enjoy how buck wild it gets in like the last <laughs> 10 minutes, where it's like, oh yeah, we're just going to float through to a, a you know a shadow dimension, and then uh, Craig T. Nelson's going to throw a spear at a thing. Mm. Uh, and uh, thanks, Gran. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, Gran's an angel. Bizarre bullshit. I wish, I wish it had had that commitment to the entire film like i've just like off the fucking chain yeah 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 so yeah we mentioned that the first one kind of splits the room but it was a huge critical and commercial success at the time in 1982 which is four years before the sequel and there's a whole controversy about the whole spielberg involvement and whether tobe was directing and there's this whole kind of thing it basically seems to be that spielberg was more involved than he's credited and he has actually directed the essentially directed the whole first poltergeist the story goes that apparently mr toby hooper was a bit off his face for most of it as well which didn't help so that's what people on set have said yeah yeah don't sue me i think it was elder rubenstein that said like the six days that she shot 
Spielberg was there the whole time and she met Toby Hooper like twice. So like, hello, and he put the cameras in the corner. And I was like, that'll do. It, <laughs> it does feel like an Alex Garland on Dread kind of thing. Yes, where it does come yeah. until years later yeah. that actually that person helmed it. Which in essence is why I think there are two elements about Poltergeist, the first one that irritate me. The first one is that Spielberg's heavy involvement, uh, not because he's heavily involved, but because he is heavily involved and this doesn't feel worthy enough. It feels like a 2011 Steven Spielberg effort. <laughs> Interestingly, it's one of the few films that he's actually written. So his involvement goes much, much from deeper. The, exactly, from the yeah. start. Second thing I don't like is that, to me, the whole thing feels like an attempt to make a more palatable and presentable and mainstream release of The Exorcist. Same premise, sort of. Yeah. Same yeah. general yeah. gist contained mean. within the house, but something that would be much more... Um, marketable and actually sellable to people rather than just, oh, that's going to have to get banned. That kind my, of thing. My thing with Poltergeist and the way that you, I think you've got to look at it if you want to appreciate it is it's a, it's a ghost story. And that's why I think it is more, that's why it is more palatable to, yeah. if you think about it from a horror purist perspective, I can see why people have issues with it. But sure. as a ghost story, I I find those things much more I still think, oh, as I say, I think it's I, fine at best. But then, um, again, we're talking about a generation who've seen things built upon it better. Yeah. They also get the contemporary audiences now because I know a lot of the audience members will think, oh, I'll go watch Poltergeist, Poltergeist 2 if they want to. But this is also the paranormal activity crowds who are going to be seeing that kind of poltergeisty kind of goings on and then go yeah. and go, huh. I think you've got to put it into context oh, for how yes. for what it was in 1982. I mean, I like I said, I I really enjoy it. I and I I still enjoy it, sort of in a contemporary context. But I I can see why people might not hold it up in the same regard. But I think it was incredibly influential. That's that's undeniable. So, yeah, talking about this as a as a sort of companion piece to um, The Exorcist, and you know, a, a attempt to make it more a little bit more family friendly. Um, it makes me wonder, uh, someone who can remember film dates better than I can, when did uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind come out? Uh, late 70s, like 77, 78, I think. Yeah. Seven, Close Encounters of 78, and yeah. Spielberg's director's cut gets re-released in 81. Yeah, yeah so yeah. that feels like there's connective tissue there as well. Mm-hmm. That it, It's, you know, obviously one is horror slash ghost story, the other is science fiction, but it's it's sort of dealing with similar territory i would be really interested to see what had happened had toby hooper actually directed it because with him having more of a horror background they it's an interesting one because they brought him on because of texas chainsaw that was their reason for bringing him in and i do wonder if he would have pushed it in a harder direction had it been more had he been more present because it is incredibly spielbergian Mm. in its i wonder i wonder what him trying a pg film looks like as well yeah. if, if he would yeah. have been capable of doing that <laughs> yeah maybe maybe the rating would have changed if he had kind of more creative control than than spielberg so in mean, a horror film does live and die by the sort of horror imagery in it so to speak and there is some fairly strong imagery in poltergeist which becomes yeah. semi-iconic isn't there you've got the little girl on the television you've got mm. the clown of course and the old kind tree. of yeah, the tree, that kind of weird skeletal dog thing near the end. That's yeah. one of the weaker ones, perhaps. And even um, where the mother is being sort of pushed up the wall onto the ceiling by the mm. poltergeist. Yes. And yeah. even the kind of the ghostly 
apparition sort of when it first appears and the the, the lights yeah. flying around and stuff. It was quite a strong it's very influential the time, yeah. that one, yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's impressive from that sense. It's just that personally I just don't think it holds together as a sort of coherent film. Yeah. Pacing wise it's all off as well, in my mm. opinion. I know it's kind of intentionally doing that and Nightmare on Elm Street did a similar thing where it, you know, you start to think, Oh, it's it's winding down now, it's all winding up to building up to a big crescendo and then haha, Shiraz you are. It's it, not. It does have that that somewhat tacked on ending. I know people talk about the clown scene mm. being iconic, but that's probably the one bit of the movie that I don't really It doesn't like. really yeah, it's odd how it's become such a thing. And if you actually go and back and watch it, you're like it, Yeah, it does it does You could have done better there, guys, yeah. you know. You could have ended it at that moment and then just yeah. cut to the scene of them in the motel and it still would have made perfect sense. Yeah, the, last, yeah. the last 10 minutes don't need to be there. But on the whole, I think it, I think it is deserved of its reputation for being a sort of a, an important and influential film, which is something that Poltergeist 2 most definitely is not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so before we go on to Poltergeist 2, has anyone seen the remake of Poltergeist? Yeah. Any good? No, no. Uh, it's I've got good people. In I was going to say Sam <laughs> yeah, Rockwell. Does, but... You know, <laughs> it's it's like a lot of contemporary remakes and reboots, whereby its heart's in the right place and it re- replicates things that it's seen, but doesn't understand the soul of. And as much as I don't really care for Poltergeist, I appreciate what it did. And this just literally takes almost a visual scrapbook of things, almost like the Snyder esque way of adapting a comic, where he flips through a comic, sees the image, and goes, "That's cool." I'll just sort of figure out how to make it work. <laughs> I don't know. He never quite gets that far. Yeah, it never, yeah. Yeah, never really hits the bottom of the head. I mean, again, this is the thing. The visuals do work. It's quite impressive. The problem is the CGI is nothing in place of those visual effects that we had in the original. The physical stuff, I mean, yeah, okay, you could argue that the Hulk on a horse... That's in the first one, isn't it? When all the little toys are yeah, yeah. rolling yeah, past and there's like a lamp. One. And at one point, I'm pretty yeah, sure I yeah. saw a Hulk riding a horse. <laughs> um, I could have been... Yeah, there is a Hulk riding a horse. Yeah. Um, amigo Hulk riding a horse. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, a, it's, an, it's an effect that, you know, it, was, it looks like quite shite. But it still looks better than I imagine most CGI effects will look in the same amount of time yeah. in the future. And there's a little piece of trivia that, weirdly enough, Poltergeist 2 was nominated for an Academy Award for visual effects it as was. well. Was it Geiger? Yes. Hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's Giga's involvement and that whole kind of like, yeah, special effects side of things. Yeah, I I was actually quite impressed with the the weird. I believe oh, he's credited as something like vomit beast. Vomit beast. Vomit that's beast, it. Yeah. Uh, the vomit beast that comes. I was I was reasonably impressed. It's got a you can see the Geiger and it also feels very influenced by the thing. And yeah, it's it, but it also doesn't feel like it belongs in that film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's a great effect. It just uh, is in no way tonally in keeping with that film or what Poltergeist should be. Have any of you guys seen Giga's original concepts for some of the monsters for Poltergeist 2? I've seen enough dicks. The Great Beast and the, and the Vomit <laughs> Monster and all that kind of stuff. They were presumably cocks. <laughs> Mostly cocks. Oddly, enough, they look quite like Junji Ito-esque for those manga fans really? out there. It's Ooh. kind of really Uzumaki and all twisted Ooh. and creepy and... Was it Giga couldn't go to America, so sent over one of his representatives and wasn't very happy with how his work had been represented on screen in the end, which doesn't surprise me because he didn't strike me as the most agreeable yeah, it of blokes. Was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a studio like middleman called Connie DeFries, and, wow. and basically, yeah, Giga was pissed off and really pissed off. So he drew a lot of pictures of him getting The shredded. lead sculptor, Stuart Land, basically just sounded off and said DeFries had no idea what he was doing. He was bad-mouthing Giga the whole time. There's been interviews with him over the years of how much 
like the studio completely screwed up and like we had all these great ideas and these great designs and me and my team of visual effects artists and sculptors were ready to build all this cool stuff because Giga and then they were like nah let's scrap it and just do some other cheap shit because we have hardly any budget Mm. (laughs) anyway to summarize and give you a little tease for the plot of Poltergeist 2 the Freeling family move in with Diane's mother in an effort to escape the trauma and aftermath of Caroline's abduction by the Beast in the first movie. But the Beast is not to be put off so easily and appears as a ghostly apparition as the Reverend Cain, a religious zealot responsible for the deaths of his many followers. His goal is simple. He wants the angelic Caroline, but the love of her family and the power of a powerful psychic once again unite, along with an elderly Native American, to fight back. For her life. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't include the cool song. God is in his holy temple. <laughs> Which I must admit has so many different renditions in how it's played out. I kind of fucking love it now. Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, as is tradition on this show, gentlemen, what do you think Poltergeist 2 has a rating of on RottenTomatoes.com? Uh... Percentages and ratings out of 10, please. What? Alec, let's go with you first. I'm going to go with uh, 80%. And Poltergeist like... 2. Oh, Poltergeist 2. Oh, Pol- <laughs> I was going to say. We yeah. will compare with Poltergeist in a moment. But right, okay. The... Poltergeist 2, I'm going to go with like, I know, 32%. Okay, okay. Stuart? Oh, I'm going lower than that. I'm going 18. Tim? No, I think, I think, I think it would... I think critics don't tend to understand horror. So I think <laughs> it probably did better than we think it did. So I'm going to say... I think I think yeah, about like thirty five. Yeah, fuck that twenty one. <laughs> Tim, you are the closest. Oh, thirty seven percent. Always plus Tim with Ooh. an average rating of four point seven out of ten. Mm. Mm. That sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, it, it deserves less than that. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. Really it does. does. It is garbage. And how about the percentage rating for the first film? Any guesses there? I'm going to go for the year it was released. Eighty two. Interesting. I could go eighty. I'm going to say eighty seven. I'll say 84. Tim, once again, 86%. Wow. On fire. Highly, highly rated with an average of 7.2 out of 10. Mm. So it is, in classic Sequelizers fashion, about a 50% drop from the first one (laughs) to the second one. It's a significant difference and appropriately a terrible sequel to a good movie. Yeah. The second one is a weird thing. I, I just mentioned the kind of nomination for an Academy Award. In the same time, it was nominated for a Razzie as well. So yeah. it's one of those great classic <laughs> films that has an Academy Award nomination and a Razzie nomination but as well. To be fair, Suicide Squad won an Academy Award, so <gasps> don't, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> Do not get me started. And, and uh, the, the Academy Award nominated Boss Baby also. Uh, oh, God, yes, yeah. How is that allowed to... Yeah. Babe got six nominations while seven got two. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> in, in 1986. So before we leap into Poltergeist 2 and how awful it is, can mm. we say what we did think was good about it? Uh, yes. God is in. <laughs> I think Matt has made his stance very clear. <laughs> I really like the reuse of the font in the credit sequence <laughs> nice, from the original nice. film. <laughs> I really like Kane. Oh yes, not as I... conceptually, but actually the way it's realised with the poor—I can't remember the actor's name—but the poor Julian chap is something. Julian Beck. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. Uh, poor chap had stomach cancer he at did. the time, he was... so he's very skeletal oh. and withered. I think withered he died looking. before the film was released. He did. 
Yes. It's very pretty. But the thing is, the poltergeist curse where everyone keeps dying yes. as they oh, act in these films. Yes. It carries on throughout the and entire yet series. Craig as well. T. Nelson lives forever. Mm. <laughs> has he ever really lived? In the sense that we understand. Yeah. Are there? Does that carry on to the remake? It because, does. Yes, there are well, a bunch of injuries on set and. Mm. and Unfortunate events surrounding the remake yeah, it was as well released. in 2014. <laughs> it's it's what caused Sam Rockwell to be in uh, three billboards. <laughs> no, um, it's a good performance though. It is a really good, very physically good. I believe the voice was from somebody else, but that doesn't surprise me. Meshes together very well. Yeah. The whole. That um, a fantastic scene actually, where he first comes up to the house. Oh, that's so, creepy! Yeah. I get around. I love getting around. Yeah. And he's just so kind of creepy. Reverend. Yeah, I yeah. thought. I remember first time watching that. I was quite young. I was like, "This is going to be a great film." <laughs> and, then, and then the producers actually came round to my house and rubbed dog shit in my eyes. <laughs> At least that's what it felt like. God, they did used to do that, didn't they? Yeah. God, back in the day. Uh, you never get that these days. I think it's interesting because I, I I do think that scene is is the the height of the film oh, absolutely him, him just being terrifying and and kind of slowly getting closer and closer to the house and and um and i think it's interesting that that's just in the middle of the day and yes, poltergeist yeah. the original also it does a lot with where most films all the horror is happening in the darkness and with yeah. poltergeist a lot of it is to do with light you know it's the light of the tv mm. it's the electrical disturbances it's the light of the you know ghostly realm yeah um so yeah i thought it was I, d- I don't think if you shot that now and i'd imagine that probably if we look at the if we looked at the poltergeist re- remake a whole uh, lot of it would be in darkness and i'd be playing with jump scares and stuff yeah. i would throw Correct. in paranormal activity into it which is all at night time mostly mm. while people are sleeping it's it's again because it's the contemporary equivalent of arguably mm. um yeah i think you're right and the bits the whole their back thing works quite well. Um, I'm not again, really yeah, a fan yeah. of that, but I know what you mean. I though. think it works much better in the trailer, actually. I uh, think yeah, I think they have a point there. Yes, the film, it, it feels a bit. Yeah. yeah, it is a bit cheap to have their here and then their back as the two taglines of the two movies. Like, <laughs> yeah. Sure, okay, From fine. a marketing point of view. Imagine if like, <laughs> Terminator 1 was, I'm here. And then, <laughs> and then the second I'll, one, be, I'll here. be here. Yeah, I I'll am be, here. I am. Yeah, exactly. I was once here. I'm trying to think mm. about things I actually liked about the film, if I'm honest. Um, um, that's probably it, yep. I think, for me. That really is it. That font, though. <laughs> that's some class work. I'm sure this, and there's one the thing. The soundtrack's okay. I was going to say, the, the, yeah. the yeah. score is actually quite decent. Mm. I was going to say, again, all I'm going to say is, <laughs> and something like that i can't remember the rest of it but it's pretty fucking boss so yeah poltergeist to the rest of it it's not so good is it no, no it's really definitely, not, definitely so good. not like in the first film they thought cool ideas we can have a set pieces this one let's have some shit ideas for set pieces how about a kid's braces in oh, his teeth oh, come God, to life fuck. and oh. fill up a room so like that's literally a thing that happens yep. i think that starts off reasonably well and then as the gag goes on you're just like oh my god uh uh nah nah doesn't it end it by electrocuting it or something it, was, it, really it tries stupid. to it tries to uh, yeah to to jump back to a previously sequelized film from when i wasn't here it reminds me a lot of when the computer gets hold of what's oh, her name oh in superman god, yes. oh yeah definitely yeah Yes. yes, which terrified me as a child, but now mm. I look at and go, this still terrifies me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, the braces thing is just... I mean, having had braces that would come loose and just 
pierce my fucking cheek i do sympathize but mm. the representation is so cheap and shitty looking that it just doesn't it doesn't look scary it looks dumb and then seeing craig t nelson struggling being bound by which then no longer looks like brace metal yeah anymore. it's yeah it just i don't know it looks like it i can't even describe what it looks like it it, it almost feels like layered tin foil or something. Yeah, it's like, just oh, wire wonderful. wool yeah it's like yeah. oh no how will he get out of this and then mock that native american some more about that car <laughs> Because oh, that was a huge God. story that went nowhere. Oh, God, the car subplot. There's multiple subplots in this movie that just go nowhere and have no connection to anything. It's almost like this separate writer had just come in and like, right, we can't just have horror. We need car sales yeah. and weird cults and stuff and just Bomb historical monsters. figures that don't make any sense. It's just, yep, why not just undo all of the cool stuff that we set up in the first one? Another major thing I want to bring up, if it's okay, um, I don't remember the character's name, but suddenly they lose a daughter because the oldest daughter isn't there. I think she's supposed yes. to go to university or college and it's not really talked about much, but the fact that it's not written in properly feels incredibly fucking weird. Well, isn't the reason they took that out? Because there was a scene that established why she wasn't there mm. and there wasn't the actress murdered yes. or something like murdered by her boyfriend. Yep, killed by yeah. her boyfriend. Yep. And they took it out because they were like, we don't really want to mention this because this literally just happened. Like, yeah, before but the, it still yeah. it happened like six weeks before the film came out or something like that. So it was a real last minute decision, mm, yeah. I think. Yeah. Which again is, is very strange because of the fact that obviously because I'm trying to get at, she wasn't even in the story other than a throwaway line of, oh yeah, she's away doing like in college or wherever it's going to be. But the fact of the story matters just we'll just work around it by not mentioning it at all, not cutting away to it, not having any sort of connected tissue to it. It literally is a case of just, I don't care about this character. There's nothing I can do. We're not really worried about a teenager. We're worried about children. To be fair, she is a weak link in the in the first film. She doesn't true, need to actually, be there. Yeah, As true. a character, she doesn't really serve any purpose and they end up writing her out of most of the movie anyway. That's fair. She's just she does, off at friends' she houses. Does, yeah, she does keep cropping up every now and again around the house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I was just going to say that the, the daughter kind of drifting in and out in the first one, I feel like they, it's uh, a symptom of a problem that gets worse in the second one and that you can see a lot in the Braces Gone Wild scene. Which is where none of them act like they're in a house that's under supernatural siege. Yes. They all seem very casual about like <laughs> all of it yeah. going. Yeah. Like they're they're either really intensely reacting to it, but then they just go back to everyday life. I was reading a review of it where there was a theory that they'd all just become like psychologically numb to this whole thing because <laughs> it's that's... two years after set two years after the first one I think but even during and the first just... one it's like oh my god anyway breakfast so tea yeah. time gents. <laughs> we can never go back into that kitchen again back to the kitchen except, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> except for waffles yeah, it's where the food is and also that little slip and slide we've made with ghosts <laughs> going oh fucking hell sake. as I see it Poltergeist 2 commits what I consider are the three cardinal sins of a bad sequel. Ooh, yeah. There are three things that have popped up in a bunch of movies that we've covered. Not in all of them, but there's usually at least one of these in there. And this is one of the films that does all three. And the three things that it does that really piss me off is, number one, it retcons the original premise. Yeah. So... In the original Poltergeist, the big reveal is that comes about two-thirds of the way into the film is that the house that they're living on was built on a burial ground and that the 
the real estate company was supposed to rehome the bodies and they didn't and that's why they're being haunted is the implication in these at the beginning of the second film they turn around and go actually turns out that under that yeah. burial ground was a cave where a bunch of religious cultists died it's and that's so unnecessary the i mean it's, yeah it's like so the entire like why that the theory so that retconning something that that was quite integral to the meaning of the first film really irritated me and it seemed to ignore the whole message of the first film as well which frustrated me um owning a house is dangerous just rent <laughs> is it as never marry you, craig t nelson <laughs> if you rent on a burial ground is it as bad as buying a well house? to be fair they're there for quite some time before the ghosts start doing anything and then they start to move out and the ghosts say actually we should do something again it's like well they're moving it's, a, it's actually an incredibly prescient film about the subprime mortgage crisis <laughs> <laughs> on my house <laughs> <laughs> on the subject of ghosts Stupid thing number two mm. is that Poltergeist 2 ignores Poltergeist rules about Poltergeists. <laughs> because Poltergeist establishes some quite clear rules about what a Poltergeist and what a ghost is. Mm-hmm. And how long they do things for and what location they can be in and what their powers are. And Poltergeist 2, about 15 minutes in, just goes, nah, fuck it. We'll just do this. This seems fine. Braces. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Brace never, yourselves. <laughs> never mind that stuff that was in the first film. Fuck it, we're going with this. Which yeah. really irritates me because what is it? What is the point? Why mm-hmm. is there an astral plane? Who knows? This is dumb. And thing number three, I really don't like this movie. <laughs> and I think this is becoming apparent. Is that your third point? That was point number yeah. two. Yeah, it's really pissing off, isn't it? I don't like, like it. it. Yeah. Don't they I think... go to the astral plane in the first film, though? Sort of. But not as astral plainy as it is in the second. No, one. they have an upgrade, they, haven't they? Yeah, they just fall out of the ceiling covered in goo. If I remember. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Point number three: they retcon a character so that that character hasn't learned any of the things they learned in the first movie. Isn't that is all the characters? <laughs> but it's especially Craig T. Nelson's character because he, in the first film, he's not even a skeptic about these things massively. They go, it's Poltergeist. And he goes, yeah, that straight up seems to make sense. I believe this. For the first 45 minutes of the the second film he's like go away crazy native american man i don't want anything to do with this i don't believe in the poltergeist thing we just gotta go it's like why why that's wrong fuck this movie i'm going home <laughs> you're on your own Stuart. and yet it's still better than highlander 2 uh yeah not a, yeah not a, it's more cohesive as a film mm. <laughs> i suppose yeah and, so and, is and High, highlander 2 is a perfect example of just undoing all of the stuff you set up in the first one yeah it's breaking it's an, all the rules it's yeah, another exactly. great example of that oh there needs to be a mashup of the two turns out the reverend it henry was kane was the beast a- and he was from the planet zetox oh, <laughs> God. Turns out he's also Egyptian. <laughs> What's that under the Native American burial ground underneath the cave is a Scottish Highlands Egyptian pyramid Spanish villa burial ground? <laughs> Jesus. They just keep going down. There's every set from every horror film beneath that house. Eventually, <laughs> it's that huge storeroom from uh, Indiana Jones and the Ark yes. of the Covenant sitting there. <laughs> Turns out that the other place is the quickening. <laughs> <laughs> the other side, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poltergeist 2, the other place. <laughs> Connery's had too much to direct. Poltergeist 2, the I other place. Didn't. Denver. <laughs> Poltergeist 2, Denver is a movie <laughs> I would watch the hell out of. I'd watch it. 
I mean, I feel like we haven't, you know, when we were talking about the things that are good about the film, we haven't talked about the extremely nuanced and non-stereotypical use of a Native American mm. character oh, in there. Yes. Who's Native not just, American elder. Who's not just presented as a as a sort of wizened old figure to provide home, homey wisdom and, uh, you know... Blowing smoke in people's faces. And, and uh, supernatural powers, yeah, that, that was... Uh, Oh, wait. And to be fair, to argue about proper car maintenance as well. Yes. <laughs> that's what we call depth. That, yeah, oh, yeah. that's to, what to made the character the for me. car at the end of the film. Yeah. Oh, I don't... Don't worry about thanking me. I was doing my sacred duty, but I will take your car, please. Yeah. <laughs> this wagon is mine. As the elders said in the time of the Jaguar, nick their car at the end. Yeah. <laughs> White man's wagon is mine. Mm, it's racist. appropriate. <laughs> I was doing a Johnny Depp impression. Uh, <laughs> Touche. Uh-huh. You're my welcome. Tonto impression. Didn't hold up in court. It's not going to hold up here. <laughs> hey, that court. I didn't recognise it. <laughs> not caught my peers. So, for those of you who haven't seen the first film, I'll give you guys a quick little summary, like I do with the sequel as well. In Poltergeist One, the Freelings are a typical suburban American family. Husband Steve sells real estate in their ever-expanding subdivision. And Diane is a stay-at-home mum caring for their three kids, Dana, Robbie, and little Carol Ann. Strange things begin to happen in the house, however. Cupboard doors start opening on their own, furniture rearranges itself, and chairs go sliding across the kitchen floor. While whimsical at first, it soon becomes deadly serious when Carol Ann vanishes into a netherworld, where, oddly, she can only be communicated with through the white noise on their television. A team of paranormal investigators move into the house, but the forces that have kidnapped... Her are evil and powerful, requiring the services of Tangina, a woman who has dealt with this situation before. I must admit, I always found that a bit weird talking through the TV stuff. I mean, I get the idea behind it. I get uh, There's an interesting concept in the first film, which does not appear in the second at all, of motivation, being that the evil spirits are trying to stop people passing over, and it's like, oh, that's quite... And using a child as, you know, a, a, a conduit blocker, as it were. It's like, that's quite dark and horrifying and you know very much what happens when the ark of the covenant's opened and they're not closed again kind of thing like oh no the shit's getting out it's terrible but uh when it's just an, a weird ass religious leader who's just off a load of people and you're all gonna die <laughs> good to know <laughs> We should, as I was briefly mention the fact that Poltergeist Three is also a thing that oh, exists. Fucking terrible film. Worse than the second, do you think? Uh, I would actually think it's much worse than the second. Because wow. two is terrible, three is uh, somehow worse because it's just very fucking dull. Mm. Uh, I've this one... seen, I don't know if I've seen all of it, I've definitely seen parts of it and I can remember none of it almost. That's the key, key point. Because I mean, while this one tries to get a bit of levity, sorry, the second one goes a bit, a bit of levity and a bit more visceral horror like more body horror kind of thing. Um, three doesn't really know what it's doing. And it's again, complete diminishing returns sort of thing. Extremely forgettable, very dull. Uh, Tangine is in it again though. That's all right. But she still doesn't do her job in each film. Every time she turns up and it's like, oh, oh, brilliant. I love this character. She's so quirky and crazy. It'd be really interesting. I love the way she plays it. Although to be fair, in the first film, let's get your daughter back. That's quite, quite a nice little bit. A really cool little scene. But then after she said, this house is clean. And it's not. She can fuck off. She's, <laughs> she's basically wrong as anything. Yeah. I, I can't be bringing her back three times. <laughs> to be fair, up until that point, she brought her A game. Oh yeah, I think she's allowed like that one potentially very costly slip up, <laughs> that one disastrous idiocy at the end, appearing in two sequels. Yeah. <laughs> 
I feel like we should we should make a Poltergeist four where it's just um, like a expose of false psychic Tangina. <laughs> Turns out she didn't have any abilities. She appears on the uh, on Bill Murray show on Ghostbusters. Yes, <laughs> Pol- Poltergeist four. You get the Poltergeist. <laughs> oh, oh my god! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, should we get to some team names then, gentlemen? Alec and Stuart, do you have a team name in mind, please, sirs? We do. We definitely didn't come up with it about an hour ago. Not at all. <laughs> Moments <laughs> before recording. And our team name is I Ain't Afraid of No Geist. Oh. One, one, for, one for the German <laughs> listeners. <laughs> that went down about as well as we thought it would. <laughs> well, I can't see much about it. <laughs> Ours is very British, to be fair. It is very British. Matt and Tim, mm. how about your team name, please, sirs? Uh, our team name this week is More Ghosts, Vicar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's quite good. Thank you. Again, mm. very British. Yeah. <laughs> Do we, should we explain that for international audiences? Maybe. There's a jo- for, if, for Americans, there is a joke to which it's not really the punchline, but the, the repeated phrase in it is More Tea, Vicar, as a vicar is offered tea yeah so usually distract from a moment where something lewd is happening or more tea vicar or something like that so uh we've done that but with ghosts and also there's a creepy reverend in it it all ties in it's very exactly it's an incredibly clever joke it's so layered that we've we've absolutely enhanced by explaining it it's fair it's fair fair to say that both teams brought their a game to the team (laughs) name just like tangina herself our tangina games are present you brought your a game but you still failed and brought your a game again you still failed (laughs) you just wait until the pitches (laughs) speaking of which elevator pitch and cast and crew please i ain't afraid of no geist why certainly our film will be called poltergeist the assembly and will be made in the space year 1986 our director is Steven Spielberg. Our director is George A. Romero. Our director... What the fuck? ...is John Landis. Oh, my God. So, returning characters. Diane Freeling will again be portrayed by Jo Beth Williams, and everybody else can bugger off. Particularly the poor little girl who plays Carol Ann, for she did not live much longer, and she needs to have some fun and not spend so much time on film sets. She dies at 13 shortly Mm. after Poltergeist 3, I think. Awful. Unpleasant. Anyway, new characters. As in Poltergeist 3, Pat Gardner will be played by Nancy Allen, but I'm replacing the actor for her husband because he was too old. It Bruce Gardner will be played by Robert Hayes, who, of course, you remember from Lovely Airplane, and also did many, uh, well, did, did at least one anthology horror in the 80s. Their daughter, Camilla Gardner, will be played by Drew Barrymore, who at the time would have been 11 and was, frankly, already an old hand at horror films. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Vanessa Ames will be played by Angela Bassett in her first major role after... What did she do in FX? She was just like a news newscaster or something, wasn't yeah, she? I think so. I think, yeah. wasn't really doing very much. No. Uh, Monica Ames, her daughter, will be played by Tatiana Ellie, who's seven years old. Um, at the time, had only done Sesame Street, but will, of course, go on to be in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, Brian Norse will be played by John Lithgow, brought in by John Landis, probably. And his son, Justin Norse, played by a six-year-old Macaulay Culkin, who was doing little bits of acting and bits and bobs back then. This would probably be his first major role. Uh, The role of Dr. Chalice will be played by David Cronenberg. And Reverend Henry Kane will be played by Julian Beck, as in the second. The Shattered Man will be played by Doug Bradley. And Anita by a young Tilda Swinton. Jesus, this is a really interesting (laughs) cast. 
score by Jerry Goldsmith because oh, he was he he done good. Yeah, and I he did so much of the eighties horror stuff as well. Yeah, genius. Mm-hmm. So elevator pitch. After hours in a school in Southern California, four people recount their tales of supernatural kidnapping attempts suffered by their children. Oh. Mm. It's like, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark, the TV series on Nickelodeon, I think it was. <gasps> He's on to us! They're all around to a campfire and saying, yeah, kids were fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Put a little puff of uh, something into the fire to make it turn a little interesting colour. Yep. <laughs> little good. And uh, shine a torch the under their chin. Members of the Midnight Society. Yes! That was it, yes. Interesting. Matt and Tim. Also known as more ghosts, Vicar. <laughs> Can I have your cast, crew, yeah. and elevator pitch, please, sirs? So, our film is called Poltergeist Twilight. Uh, and it is coming out. <laughs> team Jacob, Team Jacob, God is in this holy. <laughs> <laughs> and it is coming out in Year of Our Lord 1990, eight mm. years after the original. And, and the year I was born. And the year Jack was born. <laughs> no. God, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) The elevator pitch is residents of a San Francisco apartment complex find themselves trapped as an array of Japanese ghosts are unleashed to torment them. Returning cast. None of them fucks. Bugger all. (laughs) The new cast we have uh, playing the role of Bob Franklin Brian Cranston Ooh. very early on in his career then he'd been doing like Amazon Women on the Moon and other really small little things <laughs> he'd been Hadn't doing even... Amazon Women on the Moon wow <laughs> he's a cool guy right? <laughs> what a life he's led <laughs> he hasn't even been in Power Rangers yet yeah he did a lot of voice acting work he did the, the Street Fighter 2 animated film the anime one did Ghost he? in the Shell yeah, yeah he was, I was never nice. knew yeah. that which he was in Ghost in the Shell's anime little tiny little roles and things and then eventually goes on to become Brian fucking Cranston in the role of Jeannie Franklin he's uh, wife Gina Davis who's been in the Fly and Beetlejuice at this point goes on to be in Thermal and Louise the role of John Ryerson being played by Brian Dennehy Brian yeah. fucking Dennehy yep from First Blood Cocoon goes on to presume Th- innocent that's things. our second FX cast member oh. what yeah, it is a good point, actually. Yeah. I was really hoping you were going to say Brian Cranston and just have him <laughs> playing everyone. Yep, we could do it. We find it's, a way. It's our oh, Brian Cranston's Norbit. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> With designs by HR Giga. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. In the role of Ryerson's son, Hank Ryerson, we have Matthew Modine um, from Full Metal Jacket, because I'm in Memphis Bell. And then later appears in Cutthroat Island with Gina Davis and no one ever talks about it again. In the role of his son, Pete Ryerson, a very young, fresh off Stand By Me, Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Um, also in Next Generation stuff, again, goes into Toy Soldiers and Flubber and other things. In the role of Lu Tang, we have um, James Hong, Big Trouble in Little China, The Equalizer of all things. Tango and Cash. In the role of Jemima Tang, Lauren Bacall. In the shootest and misery around that time, went on for a star for two. The role of Steve Hubbock, coming off of Dracula and Masters of the Universe, Frank Langella. And it goes on to be 1492, Conquest of Paradise and Dave and just again, awesome Langellaness. In the role of Mrs. Rourke, we have Maureen O'Hara from McClintock and Big Jake and Only the Lonely and lots of old classic films. Dick Graves is played by David Carradine. Mostly known from the Kung Fu TV series and goes on to Nowhere to Run and Bird and a Wire and then eventually Kill Bill. And finally, Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa playing the role of Hasegawa. Um, he's the kind of actor you see his face and go, oh, that guy. And he's in The Last Emperor, Twins, Rising Sun, Mortal Kombat, etc., etc. Our composer 
is Bill Conti, who is probably best known for The Karate Kid, did Masters of the Universe as well. So, you know, big friends with Frank Frank Langella. And our director, or should I say directors... Yeah, this one's taking a weird turn. What? Yeah. Uh, rather, rather than that anthology style, we're going for co-directing. Interesting. Ooh. And we have Steven Spielberg Oh. and Akira Kurosawa. The second you guys said Steven Spielberg and, I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think we've both picked up on the fact that this is a Spielberg thing and always should have been a Spielberg thing and he should have helmed it properly, but have also had someone else involved to make it better, basically. <laughs> and I like that we've done the same thing. And also, your film doesn't have the word two in it, does it? We're number two. Oh. Maybe it does ours. Weird. That's because we want to distance it from the first, which is why we've got no bloody cast. So did we. Mm. <laughs> this is a bit strange. Mm. It sounds like it could be one of these episodes where neither of you stick to the original because the original is so bad. Because usually we get the somewhat traditional thing on Sequelizer now where one team fixes the bad sequel more closely and then one goes batshit insane off the rails. But it sounds like you both might be going off the rails, which might well, be interesting. You would think that, wouldn't you? I'm, I, I'm genuinely, really, almost impressed and fascinated, and kind yeah, of wait chubbed. until you hear how shit it is. Though <laughs> there was a ghost, Just it did like a poo. <laughs> He's not a little poo out of his chicken bum. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Maltese poo. You had written there is a ghost. I then came in and went, can it shit? <laughs> well, yeah, but, but remember, PG thirteen will go for poo. Or see the. Tim wrote, this guy's eating chicken nuggets. I said, wait, wait, the chicken nuggets split and reform into a chicken. Problem solved. I was like, is that a ghost? Don't know. <laughs> Would it have been a ghost in Polar Ghost 2? Probably. Probably. Braces were. What is, what is ghost? John Oliver. Kane <laughs> is ghost. So if you want to hear the two teams' full pitches, you're going to have to tune in next week, ladies and gentlemen. So we will see you there when I Ain't Afraid of No Geist takes on more ghosts, Vicar. See you then, folks. Enjoy speculating, your dirty slags. And do, enjoy your speculums. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy oh, your speculums. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and enjoy your Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.